Testament reading, which is going to come from the book of Hebrews, if you're reading along. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, and Steve's going to come up and read that. The heading warning to pay attention. Hebrews 2, 1 to 9. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was conformed, confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the word world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. God bless this reading. You may have been following the news recently and seen the kind of trends that go, things that seem to come out as popular as in people's opinions. If you've been following it lately, the things you probably see would be questioning of our leaders, uh, looking at the way the government works and how they succeed in that. Does a bipartisan government work? You'll see articles come out about our Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, about Tony Abbott, our opposition, about Labour and Greens and Liberal, bipartisan. You'll see things about carbon taxes and other reforms. The media have been particularly heavy in reporting these things, every rumour and opinion they can find. According to the latest opinion polls, the people of Australia prefer Tony Abbott, the opposition leader, to our current Prime Minister, Julia Gillard. Whereas a week ago, it was the other way around. But why are we so concerned with this information? Why does the media think that we want to hear about our leader's latest success or failure? At the end of the day, it's all about promises and confidence. Our confidence in those who lead us based on the promises that they give us on how they will serve us. It's about whether or not we think that as our leaders, the ones they are appointed to be, 
that they can do what they have promised to do. But where do these media articles end? Well, they end with us, don't they? We find that at the end of the articles, we have our opinions. And these articles help shape our opinions. Now, some people love our current government, some people hate it. Others just don't care. But we all have an opinion about how well they're doing. And where we see that expressed is in the way that we talk to our children, the way we communicate with our friends and our work colleagues. It might be in letters that you write. You might have been part of the poll that came out last week. We all express our opinions based on how well we feel and believe our government is doing. Expressing our confidences in our leaders is not a modern activity, it's, it's ancient. In fact, this very psalm that we've looked at today, Psalm 8, the psalmist is doing the very same thing. But unlike us, he's not doing an opinion poll, he's not writing a letter to the editor, he's decided to put it into a song. A song that he felt so passionately about that he decided to make it a song of praise for his great leader. A song that starts by work recognising the worthiness of this ruler to lead. And starts like this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. You still the enemy and the avenger. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. It's quite a powerful beginning, isn't it? It's passionate, powerful, it's submissive. I think it's safe to say that the psalmist here is very happy with his current government. The psalmist cries out, How majestic is your name in all the earth. But we should all be fairly well reacquainted with the word majestic after our, our recent royal wedding, the idea of majestic. It's a, a kingship. It's the idea of having the right and the responsibility to rule and head a nation. Although unlike the monarchs in England and their right to rule given to them by birth, the king we are hearing about here that is being bared witness to by the psalmist is recognised for much more outstanding attributes. The psalmist recognises the right of this ruler to rule from history, from the ruler's continuing success in establishing the Jews as a people. Very humbly, the 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 psalmist looks at himself and his people and refers to them as babes and infants. I suppose it's something we can relate to too, because as far as Australia goes, we are a young nation amongst a lot of older ones. We've only been around for a couple of hundred years. A brand new nation amongst those who surrounded them. This is where the psalmist had come from. He also humbly recognises that it was the Lord that put them there. 
in those verses we just read, he said, you, are, you have established your strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When he's saying these things, he's thinking back, thinking back to Israel's history. And when we do that, it's easy to see what was going through the psalmist's mind as he was recalling these words. Not only was, at this point in time, Israel being settled in a land that they had acquired their sort of solidarity as a nation, but he would have been going back, thinking about how Israel got there. They've had enemies on every side for a very long time. But his thoughts would go back because unlike our monarchs, our human kings, our earthly kings, the king that brought these people into Israel was God. His thoughts would have taken them much further back, back to where he pulled them as a slave nation out of bondage, how he took them into a into the desert and, and formed them as a nation. It was there that he formed a covenant with them. He established them as a people and gave them a purpose. He gave them a new home and through them established his glory to the nations. Our psalmist today is, is, was King David, a man appointed by God to be Israel's king. He lived in a time where he could look back and see the fulfillment of all that God had promised them in the desert. Promised to them as a people. How he had faithfully established them and nurtured them and in so doing created for him a people that would bear witness to him and to all the earth. Bear witness to his mighty deeds and of his faithfulness. Where other nations would tremble at his might. Yes, It's safe to say that this King David stands in awe of this God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's high praise that David gives to God. And it's not surprising that then he then turns to consider his own self in comparison. Considers his people in comparison with this mighty and benevolent ruler. And as a result, it leaves David with some mixed emotions. For the first thing, it strikes him of the sheer insignificance of man. And it's followed by the amazement of how much God actually cares for that insignificant man. When we look back at verse 3 of Psalm 8, David writes, When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you care for him? It seems only natural that David's mind would go to the heavens. He has just been recalling centuries of mighty deeds, how God has been working with his people, and it makes sense that he would turn to the world around him and look at God's other mighty deeds. Now, through the centuries, man man has been astounded by the size of this universe. It's not surprising that he also looked at it. As far as we conceive ideas of big, the universe would have to be the biggest that we can think of, whether we're Christian or not. We use technology to see it more, and the more we see, the bigger it gets. 
But even without the technology, without the telescopes, we can still look out and see how infinitely big the universe is. I suppose living in the bush gives us a better chance to do that as well. Unlike the city with the lights and the fog, we can go out on a cloudless light, look up and see how dazzling and brilliant the sky is, glittered with stars. It's the same sort of scene that David would have looked at when he would take outside and look. So David asks a question that so many ask today and always have, which is, what makes man significant in a universe so big? David also answers his own question in the psalm. Just as he recognised that it was God who pieced the universe together, it was his creation, David also remembers that we too are his creation. David takes us back to Genesis chapter 1, to the account of God's intricate weaving of the universe. Takes it back to the account where he remembered the creation of Adam, the first man, and the responsibility that was given to him by God. Over the rest of the psalm, the imagery comes from the rest of that chapter 1 of Genesis, where God creates man to rule over the rest of his creation. God made man with purpose. We were to be his caretakers of his creation, under him, for him, and with him. The reason that God is so mindful of us is because he created us to do exactly that. He created us to have that responsibility. And this is why we're not the insignificant man. David is reminding us in this psalm what a great privilege it is that God has given us to care for his creation. But it is also in the psalm that we see a picture of the truth. And that is that we don't do a very good job of being his caretakers. Because see, when God created all this, he did not create us to war and rage against him and against each other. He did not create us to fight amongst ourselves. But we see in verse 2 that this is the reality of what mankind is at. What mankind has done with its unique privilege. Even including the very first man, Adam. Since then we have not honoured what we were created to be. We fight against God and against each other. And as a result, humanity finds itself warring constantly and futilely. Even this great King David, we find six psalms later mourning and lamenting over his own sinfulness. But it's also in the psalm that we can see evidence of God's hope for us, for his hope for mankind. The resolution he has made for mankind to bring creation back to himself. It's this very nation that David has been appointed to rule. It's, it's God's chosen people. It's a people of promise. They were given a promise that he would restore them, restore them to himself. As he promised them, a king who would come through David, who would do this. 
Imagine for the Jews, this would be very exciting. But for centuries, they saw a king come and king go. And they did not see the man who would bring them this unity with God. They would have thought they were pretty close with Solomon. But after Solomon, all just went downhill from there. It's not until we come to the New Testament, as we saw in the passage in Hebrews today, that we see the fulfillment of these promises. The fulfillment of this psalm, as it is quoted. It's going to read Hebrews. Again, a little bit. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, to which we are speaking, but it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because the suffering of death that so because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We can see here that people in the New Testament are starting to finally understand where the full fulfilment of God's promises are going to come from. We understand that these kings could not do or undo, more to the point, what man has done. When we read verse 10, it says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory should be made the founder of their salvation. Perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, was, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. We can see that in these kings it just wasn't enough. Man wasn't good enough to lead people back to God and give them a right relationship. It was only through God himself that this could be done. And this is exactly what he did through Jesus. It's often hard sometimes to look at these Old Testament and think about how, how they can relate to the New Testament and how do they fit in. But the writer of Hebrews has made it very easy for us today. He has explained the psalm so that we can readily understand it. It's through Christ, the King. So as we turn our eyes to the New Testament, we also remember that in Psalm, it was David who was looking back, looking back at the mighty deeds of God and what he has done to establish the nation in Israel. We too look back to Christ. We look back to his mighty deeds, that on that cross he tasted death for everybody that he might bring many sons to glory. And we see the fulfilment of the kingdom too. As they were kingdom people, we too are kingdom people made through Jesus Christ. And we remember this also. 
It's a great psalm to have. It reminds us of the mighty deeds of our God, and we should be standing in awe of him, but also remembering the great privilege that it is to be here and be called brothers. The great privilege it is to be reconnected to God. And yes, as the passage says, we still don't see everything under subjection to him, and this is why we hope. We hope in a future, I hope in a future that God has still promised to come, which we are starting to see the fulfilment of now which we have admission to through the Son. We hope for a time where God will remake everything new, as it says in 2 Peter. But we have the hope now. And as people living in light of this, we should act like David. We should be singing psalms and songs and praising him. We started this sermon talking about governments, about our confidence in them. And I think we are right to question them. But as too, we realise that we have a greater king, a king of a different kind of kingdom. And we should be singing his praises too. We should be writing opinion polls about him. We should be teaching this to our children so that they may remember we should be telling it to our friends, encouraging our work people. Like David, we should be in awe and excited about our God and eager to tell all about it. Let's pray that we do this. Father God, we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of what you have done. Father, we are sorry that we could not honour you with the privilege you gave us. But Father, we thank you that through your Son we can be reunited with you, that he tasted death for all of us. We thank you for admission to your kingdom and the hope that we have in the future. Father, may this inspire us and fill us with awe and fill us with a passion to share this good news, your gospel, with others. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.